Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Black Adam, the movie that changed cinema. We're excited to talk about it. The whole show is dedicated to Black Adam, actually. Uh, <laughs> a lot to say on Only it. Only because of so lack, we'll of, lack of selection, not because it's the biggest thing out there. Well, you know, uh, six in one hand, half dozen in the other, Andy. Uh, we're also going to talk about some exciting news over at DC Films. Just broke, just before the podcast, about who is heading... DC Films, after Walter Hamada has left, uh, it's a really interesting combo. I'm excited to talk about it in the Death of Cinema segment at the end of the show. Before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week is already on screen if you're watching us on Facebook Live. Uh, Peeling back Glass Onion, Netflix's Knives Out theater plan has sparked some box office controversy. I wasn't actually wise to this until we started the show. Andy found this story earlier this week. Uh, Andy, what's going on with uh, what's going on with Glass Onion? So, Glass Onion, the sequel to uh, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, uh, is going to be in theaters very briefly over the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. The, in a first, Netflix struck a deal with all the major cinema chains, Cinemark, Regal, um, and AMC, to show a few screenings over over the holidays. And the theaters were really excited about this, and we're hoping this might lead to some more deals like this or some longer windows, because this is just going to be like maybe five days. And then Netflix came out and said, uh, no, this is strictly for our... <laughs> our subscribers this is for our you know our streaming service this is kind of going to be a one-off and that's unfortunate but um who knows that they may do it again in the future uh i can't stand this news <laughs> as as somebody who'd really like to go see the sequel to knives out in a theater the fact that it's running in like 600 theaters nationwide for like a week maybe some of them will probably be five or six days uh, it sucks. Like we're in a big city and the odds of us catching it here are slim. And I don't know if that's the best way to watch Ryan Johnson's exciting new feature. I would imagine it is. Knives Out did great last year or a couple years ago when it came out. Uh, did, did I, the numbers are in here somewhere. Uh, $311.6 million globally. I mean, come on. And I know Netflix shelled out a bunch of money for Glass Onion and the third film in this threequel. Um, but like personally, that's where I'd really like to watch it. I think Knives Out has potential, or at least the first film definitely had potential at awards. I think Glass Onion does too. That's why they're running it in theaters, so it can be eligible for things like the Oscars. It is silly to me that despite how hard up they are for subscribers, which is real hard up in Netflix's case, by the way, they need people subbing. They need people subbing bad. I think it's silly that they want to be eligible for all the awards that like classic cinema entails so they can get the marketing out of it. But they don't want people to have a choice of where they can see some of their bigger, more exciting, potentially award-winning features. Like that's silly. Um, what do you think, Andy? Yes, it's definitely frustrating, but a lot of films do this. They run for literally two weeks in late December between Christmas and New Year's in three theaters, just so they can be eligible for awards. So it's not unheard of, um, uh, Netflix is still chasing those big Oscars. They they lost Best Picture last year to, to Apple TV's Coda somehow. Um, you know, Netflix has been trying to get that Best Picture Oscar for years, and Apple TV Plus did it like their first or second go. Uh, but they're, they really want to basically say, we are bold cinema, we, we are top-tier cinema, we and get a Best Picture award or some other awards and it just hasn't really happened so they're going hard for it but yeah they, they are not about the theatrical experience they're about you subscribing to their channel 
For what it's worth, uh, Netflix did spend half a billion dollars, uh, $469 million for Glass Onion and its follow-up, which means Glass Onion has already cost Netflix a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, that's not nothing to scoff at, right? That is a big number, a little less technically, but I get it. Like they don't want to give money to theaters and uh, the way theaters have, have acted towards Netflix, I don't blame them. They've kind of had a, a longstanding feud that only gets worse through the pandemic over the last couple of years. Um, but like, I don't know. <laughs> Just, I, I don't think this is the way to do it. Like I, I know they want to make money. I, I know they want to focus and it's expensive. It's the other thing. It's expensive to market in theaters, right? It's expensive to come out during the holiday season, Thanksgiving, around then is when this is coming out, and say, hey, this is also going to compete, be competing with everything else. You got to have marquees made up. You got to have posters. You're going to want to run ads to promote that. Like, they really are just trying to do the most low impact presentation of this film possible in theaters so they can make the most money on their platform where they make the rules. And, and I respect the hustle. I do. But as one of those few people who would re much rather watch it in theaters, like I, I, that makes it tough. Makes it tough for the cinema heads out there. And that's that. Uh, our, our next story, uh, Damon Lindelof is getting in the Star Wars business, which is weird. Uh, acclaimed television writer of series such as Lost, uh, The Leftovers on HBO, and Watchmen on HBO. Uh, Damon Lindelof has been talking to Disney about doing some Star Wars work. A Andy, what's this about? So this just broke yesterday. Uh, we know that there have been some secret Star Wars projects in the works since kind of the end of uh, 2019's uh, Rise of Skywalker. Uh, a lot of projects have been announced, kind of started, and canceled uh, in the Star Wars universe, so you never really know. But apparently this is one of the projects that is going off the ground. It's going to be written by not just Damon Lindelof. There's, there's going to a group of writers, but they're very talented things. And if you're not familiar with his work, he's best known for Lost, uh, The Leftovers, Watchmen. He, he also wrote one of the Star Trek movies, Prometheus, which I really like. Some people think that that's a hit against him. but I, Prometheus I was good, like, yeah. Yeah, Prometheus has got some good, good things. Also, th this is going to be directed by Miss Marvel director Charmaine O'Brien. Bay Chinoy, uh, who directed two episodes of Miss Marvel. I haven't watched that show, but I've heard it's pretty good. Uh, so it's an interesting approach, and it looks like they, they're they looking to move past the Skywalker saga. Well, at least it's going to take place after Rise of Skywalker. We might see some characters from the newer films, uh, but it looks like they're really trying to move, move the torch forward. This is going to be one film, not a trilogy, not a franchise, not a series. They're just going to do a one-off and see how it goes. I, I think I, I'm sure that they, they want to do more, but uh, they've learned from, you know, we had one Star Wars film every every year for like four, four or five years um, and they started to lose money and it was a little bit too much too soon. So they're really taking a careful approach. And this is looks like this will be coming December 2025 at the earliest. So listen. Uh, for for the property for the for the creative work uh, uh, that is Star Wars, I think bringing somebody like Damon Lindelof on is a very smart move. Like the guy's really clever. He's got a lot of work in the space. He writes some really good stuff. Um, and I, I overall, I think that's a good thing. I do. Um, I, for the company that makes Star Wars, uh, <laughs> I don't 
Disney, I, I don't think much of this. They, they've got so many projects up in the air, and, and they've been moving around stuff. They've announced things and then written them off. I saw an article just the other day saying Ryan Johnson is still interested in making that Star Wars threequel that they had already announced that he was going to make. But currently, it's up in the air due to scheduling, which to me usually is Hollywood's way of saying it's probably not going to happen. Uh, Patty yeah. Jenkins, director of Wonder Woman, is supposed to be making a Star Wars movie. Taika Waititi was supposed to have a Star Wars movie in theaters next December. Like, I should say the December after, right? 2023, not this year. Um, and now that's been pushed back. And, and, and it's like, uh, nothing seems to be rising to the top with, with Disney and Star Wars here. And like, Andy's right. Bob Chapek, current CEO, said that uh, in regards to their films, they, they, they did a little too much too fast. That's what he said. Uh, and, and they needed to back off. Now they're having a lot of success in the streaming space. And I think for Damon Lindelof, who obviously has had a lot of success in the streaming space, maybe that would be a good spot for him. And I think he can write a fine movie, too. But I'm frustrated with the moves of the company. <laughs> well, so many, I think so many things get announced that never see even yes. pre-production. Like you were saying, there there's supposed to be this like Rogue Squadron movie, this Rangers of, of the Republic. Um, it, you know, uh, Dan and what's the the Game of Thrones oh, yeah. showrunners were supposed to get. <laughs> they got fired off their movie. But That's they, right. Was, I forgot about them. Yeah, yeah. They had, but they were supposed to do a set of movies. Uh, again, Ryan Johnson. Uh, so a ton has been announced. The th there are three projects that it seem to be have more progress. Uh, this is going to be the third one. This is the newest one, the Damon Lind Lindelof. Um, Taika Waititi has been working on a Star Wars movie. Who knows when that's happening? The other one is Michael Waldron, uh, who wrote... Uh, he was a writer on Loki, season mm -hmm. one, um, and he has a lot of writing credits. He's also doing a Star Wars movie. So the, we know there's at least three. I'm a little unsure about this Taika Waititi one, but this this is the most recent one. Uh, it looks And it looks like they're aiming for 2025 and 2027 to possibly get a Star Wars movie out. So they're having some time. They're dying down. They're, I think, hopefully regrouping their film strategy. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like I said, I... I I like the news. I don't. I don't like a company who seems to be continually stumbling into this trap. Like it's not Warner a good Brothers. move when you announce something and then just quietly never do it. Like that that gets people excited for pie in the sky ideas that aren't actually real. And it seems to happen a lot with this franchise. Um, if the problem before was that you were making too much Star Wars too fast, how is having eight Star Wars films in uh, all up in the air? any different from being too much. The only difference is you're not releasing them. <laughs> I, I feel like if, if like, we ever see what, if one ever sees the light of day, it'll be a miracle at this point. Yeah. Like it, they're, they're, they're just constantly in flux. Yeah. The, the game of Thrones guys were supposed to have one. I totally forgot about them. Patty Jenkins was supposed to have one. And then one woman, 1984 came out and did not do great. And, and people were like, well, I don't know now she's busy. And it's like, what are we doing? Like <laughs> you guys, you guys need to go for it. Uh, I know Disney again is having a lot of success with Star Wars on Disney Plus. Maybe that's a place where they can control it a little better, right? They can tamper expectations, but currently I'm I'm disappointed with where it's at. Hopefully this is a step in the right in the right direction. I think. Any other thoughts on this one? I'm excited by the writing announcement. I mean, uh, Damon Lindelof has done really incredible work, and I've listened to a couple of podcasts, and just the way he approaches writing, character, narrative, theme, um, it's just so much more complex than anything that we've gotten since since The Last Jedi. 
Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Like I think he's somebody who who manages to step further into the idea of like what character can be. Um, James Cameron, director of Avatar Two: The Way of Water, uh, was <laughs> just saying earlier today. I was reading the Hollywood Reporter, I think, um, that Marvel and DC are are not fantastic at writing characters who like have real depth. He, he said a lot of their characters are like college characters. They're just like you know, kind of goofy, one note, like not very deep individuals. And Lindelof is somebody who who very much looks past that, like who sees that as, as a bigger thing. Taika Waititi, even to a point, can be that as well. Like he 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 reimagined Thor in kind of a different space, and Thor Ragnarok elevated that character to a new place. Um, I, like I said, I think they're making good moves. I just hope like it's all in service of like a plan, <laughs> and I, I'm I, I'm not sure if it is. Um, but you know, the house of mouse will continue to mouse, I suppose. Our last story before we get to Black Adam uh, from the box office: Black Adam blazes with a sixty-seven million dollar opening, and rom-com ticket to paradise flies to sixteen point three million dollars. Uh, I'm a, I can't say if I'm surprised by this or not, Andy. How do you feel? I'm a little bit the same way. If it had met expectations, that would feel normal, and exceeding expectations also is not not surprising. Um, this was tracking for a sixty million dollar opening, so we beat that. This is The Rock's big, biggest solo opening film um, ahead of Hobbs and Shaw at, at sixty million. Um, he's opened bigger, but that's usually in a kind of an ensemble film. Uh, so. That the man still got it. Uh, some other notables: the rom-com Ticket to Paradise, which I think is just releasing this week. Uh, that stars Julia Roberts and uh, George Clooney. Is um, that came in n- number two? That's been done about a hundred million dollars in business. Number three is Smile, the horror movie, which we didn't review on the show, but is doing gangbusters. It's at about one hundred sixty million globally on a seventeen million dollar budget. We probably need to watch that movie. Yeah, it's a certified <laughs> hit. I've heard people say it's like the scariest thing they've ever seen. And I'm like, that has to be fluff. Like there's no, there's no way. Like I, I don't, I don't. I've heard it's, it, it's got a lot of good jump scares. What I've heard. Yeah, sure. Like who doesn't YouTube's got a lot of good jump scares. Anyway, <laughs> I shouldn't write off smile. Clearly it's doing well. We should probably watch this some more for the show uh, regarding black Adam and ticket to paradise. Um, I'm a little surprised black Adam didn't do better. I think anybody keeping an eye on those uh, critic scores when they were initially dropped were, uh, pleasantly surprised that Black Adam premiered with like a 45 <laughs> on Rotten. Like it did really poorly opening. This did not get a lot of critical praise. Uh, Ticket to Paradise, meanwhile, I, I, let me finish that th- that point. Uh, I'm surprised because I thought Black Adam was just going to be a huge hit regardless. I, I, I think I said on this show I was going to make $800 million total. Uh, I, and now I'm not so sure. I'm thinking maybe Pro- like probably not going to hit it hit 400, 500. There. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, but you know, it's either here nor there. The Rock clearly still has it, which is bananas because the man's incredibly like he's kind of got one gimmick, right? He's kind of a big dude with a bit of charisma. That's it. And like, it's amazing that he's managed to get this far in this, like in, in well, this place in cinema on, on, on that thing. Well, and I feel like he's actually lost some charisma in some of his, like he's actually, his character is actually getting more and more dumbed down for some reason in a lot of movies. Cause uh, I mean, he can be super charming. Uh, well, listen, yeah. But but yeah, it is some movies, particularly something like this, he, he's kind of dumbed down a little bit. For what it's worth, and we'll talk about this in the Black Adam review in a minute, like Black Adam is fundamentally like he has the Terminator thing going on where like he doesn't talk a lot and he's pretty like 
angry all the time and they worked it out the same way they did with Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the 90s, even the 80s. They were like, you look great and you're big and imposing. We're just going to lean on that and we're going to limit the number of lines we give you and we'll just, that'll be it. It's a real physical performance. And like, it totally works. Like it, it, it works for Dwayne Johnson. Great. Like it works for John Cena and Peacemaker. He's got a bit more charisma, but he's a, he's a big guy. Um, I say all of that about, about, about Dwayne Johnson to, to, Echo into to Ticket to Paradise, making $16.3 million. If you can wind the clock back like 10, 15 years, a rom-com starring George Clooney and Julia Roberts would have made $100 million opening weekend. It is bananas to me that this movie is like down here and it, it really shows like just where rom-coms are at right now. Like people just do not turn out for them anymore like they used to. It's crazy. Yeah, but, but, but it is doing well globally. Like I said, it's made $100 million globally and it's... It's been out a while overseas. I don't know why they waited so long uh, to put it out here, um, but it's doing it's doing okay. Uh, I think it was probably ma- made a little bit on on the cheap, but um, yes, Black Adam isn't doing quite as well as uh, they had hoped because it, it 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 was expensive. It was a two hundred million dollar movie, um, so it's got to do quite a bit. It's got to do four or five hundred million to uh, you know turn a profit. Well, with that, we should probably move into talking about the titular. Black Adam. Uh, Andy's agreed to take the summer on this one. Andy, thank you. It's a bit of a challenge this week, so I appreciate you taking the, taking the bullet for me. Uh, please, take it away. Black Adam. So this is the latest DC superhero film um, that doesn't really relate to a lot of anything we've seen before. If you're not familiar with Black Adam, he's very similar to the character Shazam that we met a couple of years ago played by Zachary Levi. Uh, He has the powers of the wizard Shazam. He says Shazam. He's endowed with super strength, flight, lightning, all that. Uh, The difference in characters, Black Adam is kind of an ancient person uh, from the uh, ancient city of Kondok. Uh, In this, the plot is very, is convoluted and very complicated. It's a bit like a Fast and Furious movie where the plot doesn't really matter, but it's actually really complicated if you, if you sit and think about it. Um, So I'm not going to get into the weeds too much. But there is a mother-daughter, mother daughter, sorry, mother-son duo uh, who go looking for an item, a relic uh, in the, these caves in Kondok, and they, they, re- they end up releasing Black Adam, the Dwayne Johnson's character. He kind of goes nuts. He kills everyone. There's mercenaries. There, there's uh, bad guys called Intergang who kind of run uh, the city. He just kind of demolishes everyone. He gets a little out of control, and this gets the the attention of Suicide Squad's Amanda Waller, who calls in the Justice Society of America to come and subdue him. That group is made up of Dr. Fate, played by Pierce Brosnan, Hawkman, played by Aldous Hodge, and then we also have uh, Cyclone and Adam Smasher. So these four characters, which are brand new to us, we haven't met before, go to uh, subdue black adam take him prisoner and uh, maybe also get us some help along the way um there's a ton going on that's as simple as, as i want to keep it but uh this movie is mostly about the action uh, sequences there's a ton of action the plot is loosely strung together doesn't make a whole lot of sense doesn't have to it's about spectacle some of it works some of it doesn't but uh we're gonna get into, into that so zach what do you think so i think i'm i'm surprisingly like lukewarm on this movie Luke, lukewarm to like soft rolling boil like i, I didn't dislike it <laughs> but like it's it's got problems 
and and I'm I'm excited to talk about it here. I'm glad we have a little bit more time to kind of get into it because it's a complicated movie. And and I think really it's its biggest problem is it kind of just has too much going on. It it, it tries to tackle a few too many things. Too few too yeah. many motivations. Couple couple too many characters. And it's a little long. A little long at two hours, four minutes, in my humble opinion. Uh, <laughs> but otherwise, what what do you think? I I think I overall liked it as as a comic book fan. Like this is totally like if and I mean like not not you watch superhero movies, like you read comics because there's a lot of little tiny things that you'll get and you'll appreciate and you'll kind of understand a little bit better. Um so I it's it's okay, but like I said, it's like enjoying a Fast and Furious movie. You're not there for the characters, you're not there for the the plot. You're you're there to see Stuff blow up just there to see cars crash, and in this case, it's a uh, superheroes clash. Um, there's a lot of things that don't work. It's like I said, the plot's everywhere. There's some really annoying characters. The Justice Society is interesting, and I would kind of wish they had been introduced in a different movie or something because that we they don't we need more of them. They're pretty interesting characters. Black Adam's probably the least interesting character in this movie, <laughs> in his own movie. Um, Dr. Fate, uh, played by Pierce Brosnan, who's a little bit like Dr. Strange, uh, is probably the best character, as as is Hawkman uh, as as well. Uh, you were talking about co- complicated plot. So the, Black Adam has this whole backstory, ancient betrayal, tragedy. The movie tries to do that and then also try to set up plot points in the present, which are really complicated. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a ton going on. D- Zach, take this away from me. No, no, no. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, interestingly, Andy's right. If the Justice Society wasn't in this movie, if all of those characters weren't there, this isn't a 90 minute feature. Like they are required <laughs> to fill this out to be like a more rounded picture because Black Adam is unfortunately a pretty thin comic book character. Like he does doesn't have that much going on. He got powers in ancient times and now he's in present times. <laughs> like that's, well, that's kind of the gag. Like he's you know, a villain and, and, as well. Like, right. like he and doesn't every, have every, a lot going on. Yes, and every superhero has to go about getting their powers, right? Peter Parker has to get bit by a spider, or Hawkman has to get bit by a hawk, or whatever happened to him. Um, but unfortunately, like the Justice Society is surprisingly well done in this movie, and they almost don't get enough time. DC's done this before. DC did this already. We've already had a movie where we had a big protagonist character, and they kind of introduce a team behind them. It's Birds of Prey, or The Fabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. If they just called that movie Harley Harley Quinn and rolled it out exactly as it was. People would say the same thing. They'd be like, it was good, but like, boy, that whole Birds of Prey thing was like a third of the movie, you know? Like, and it's it's a weird way to kind of segue characters in. I don't know if it's a strategy. I, I'm not sure. But I, I almost wish we'd had more. Like I God, I would have just probably had preferred a Justice Society movie because they're all really interesting. Yeah. Most yeah. Of them, they anyway. for those who of you who don't know, Dr. Fate is um well, again, he's kind of a wizard. He's kind of magical. I think he just kind of sees the future as well. He's not really, he doesn't really do much. Um, His powers they, are described as near godlike in the film. Yeah, but but in traditionally, he's just kind of um, 
he's like the specter or something. He just kind of floats around and tells people about what to do or their their fate like that. Yes. Um. So, but they they give him a lot of action in this this scene. But he's played brilliantly by uh, Pierce Brosnan. He is kind of the the Obi Wan Kenobi older teacher figure guiding uh, everyone else. He reminds me of like Doctor Strange a little, but like an older, more weary, wiser, grayer Doctor Strange. Right. Like has, yeah. has seen it all, man. Doctor Fate's been there, done that. Uh. Yeah. Almost like a yeah. Professor X kind of character, right? And and Hawkman, also uh, played by Aldous Hodge, uh, he he has a little, he's a little bit more rearing to go, unless, uh, you know, he just wants to get, kind of get in a fight, uh, that kind of thing. And so th- they they kind of make a good good duo. And then uh, Cyclone, played by Quintessa Maxwell, and um, Adam Smasher, played by Noah Centineo. They're like younger members of this thing, and th- uh, they're hired him from Netflix. <laughs> Yeah, but their powers are exactly series. Yeah, uh. the, their powers are exactly as as described. Cyclone, yes. Cyclone just spends her time like floating upside down, and then somehow her hair is still amazing. Um, Adam Smasher just grows big, and uh, they're kind of teenagers, so it, it, it's a kind of cute setup, but way more interesting. Like Black Adam is just he's just the Rock. He doesn't have a ton of character. He, um, you know, he's supposed to be like an ancient Egyptian. Yeah, he, he makes no attempt to like use an accent or anything like that. He talks in modern speak, so it's just Yes. You know, he's just the rock being the rock. Right. Uh we talked about this way early, like in the ads for for uh Black Adam. Um the like the rock doesn't look like anything or I shouldn't say the rock, Dwayne Johnson, right? He doesn't look like anything other than Dwayne Johnson. Like Aldous Hodge has this like Really, really goofy Hawkman outfit that he so flexes. Oh my God, he gets he gets past it. Like any scene where he's not wearing it, he's really good. Like he's funny and he's serious and he kind of plays this like just about to fly off the handle character who is who is you know always an inch away from wanting to beat somebody up, but ultimately like is trying to work inside of Justice. Doctor Fate is this like weary older hero who's who's done a lot and and you know has good relationships with people, but you know has these visions that kind of freak him out and. Uh, he's got a really cool outfit with this really rad helmet. He can fly and has these sick powers. And our two younger characters in the Justice Society, Adam Smasher, is basically like Deadpool, but with Ant-Man powers. Like he's got the same white eyes and looks very similar, and he can grow up and small and small down. And uh, he's kind of funny, but not really. And and Cyclone is a little like uh, Domino in Deadpool, right? She's kind of this like character that's stuck in there. He's got kind of a cool power, but you don't really not that important. Um, the four of them have like unique silhouettes and unique outfits and they're their own characters. And when they fight, they have their own powers and they combine powers and like one character will shoot a laser and another one, they'll bounce into a thing. Like it's like when the Avengers fight in, in the first Avengers movie, like you get really good chemistry, good comic book stuff, good colors, just uh, unlike birds of prey. This is a problem in birds of prey. Cause a lot of those girls start to kind of feel the same in your memory. Like just society very much stands on their own. They're very unique. Unfortunately, all of them, uh, Black Adam is kind of flat. Yeah, like he's, he's a big burly guy, but you're right. Like he's just Dwayne Johnson doing the Dwayne Johnson thing. But they were smart. Like I said earlier, they, they did kind of the Terminator approach. They don't give him that many lines. They make him this just like <laughs> insanely tough guy. And for what it's worth, when he does get into the powers, he does have some sick moves. Like they, there are there are some really cool scenes where he just absolutely crushes dudes. Yeah, like I said, there's a ton of action. Some of it is better than the others. There's, you know, a big battle between uh, Black Adam and the Justice Society about halfway through the film. Uh, That's a really good one. But there's way too much action in general, which 
it seems funny to say that, but that's that's what I meant. It felt like a Fast and Furious movie. Like it's just it's at like eleven the whole time. Like it opens with an action scene. The action scene leads to another action scene. It's just a kind of nonstop. Uh, and the thing is, so it's like a hundred and ten percent CGI, which it doesn't really help. You know, like this whole thing is shot on green screens on built sets. Like none of it looks like they went anywhere to, to shoot it, and it just uh, it just makes it more and more cartoonish. Yes. Uh, also worth mentioning, uh, the action is like brutal. I cannot I cannot believe the number of people who die in this movie. Oh my god! Like just just ridiculous. And I know that's it's, part of the whole appeal of Black Adam. Like he's not really a hero. He kills people. But like, good god! Like how did this get to be their team rating? There's people who lit on fire and burned to death. There's people who are shot right, but in the it's, face. Like it's PG thirteen death though. Ridiculous. It's, like it's oh, okay. <laughs> but. As besides the point, it is meant to be a bit a bit elevated, right? A step above, uh, and, and and for what it's worth, Black Adam does break out and do it that way. But as far as like our, our sets go, we, what's the name of this town? Condar is that the Condoc? Condoc, right? Uh, yes, it's 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 like in kind of arbitrary Egypt area. Like they don't really get specific with where it's at because this movie's got to run globally, right? They're going to run this in China and Russia and anywhere else they can make money. And, uh, you know, it's it's fine. If anything, I, I did like that the film is a bit of a bottle. You don't leave there much. And I think that kind of makes the story feel more grounded. It's always a little goofy whenever your characters hop in the Quinjet and they're like, let's fly to Morocco in two minutes. You know, like one scene change and the name the title card comes across the screen. Morocco. Right. Like, who who cares? Like, we, we it's fine. So I, I like that everything felt local. That felt good. And that gives us some structure for Black Adam's uh, kind of internal struggle with this idea that he has a history and a past with this place. And now we're in the future. Um, also sets up some potential for social commentary, which we'll get into in a second. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. the setting that's there is unfortunately super fake. And like, man, the, the the more we see these movies, the worse it gets. Like all all of these studios are uh, DC and Marvel now are really just leaning into like just shoot on green screen. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It it's a- not it's not like you know uh, the Dark Knight where they're shooting in Chicago to cr- turn it into Gotham City. No, you know it all feels like. Uh, I mean, it's, they're they're clearly all all on sets, you know. And it's funny because uh, Christian Bale said something about that. With he worked on, he was in Thor: Love and Thunder, and you know he would just be lost and confused half the time because they'll be like, "Oh, you're on screen seven. and they're like, "What?" He's like, "What? It's, what is that? Where what is that? that? What yeah. is? Yeah, what? You know? Um, yeah, it's just it's really confusing. It just really takes you out of it. Yeah, it does. Uh, but Black Adam's got a history, and I think that's worth talking about. Yeah, the, he again. He's this ancient Egyptian person. Through tragedy and happenstance, uh, he he becomes uh, the champion of Shazam, and uh, but but kind of get, gets corrupted. That's his whole thing. He he was the he was the chosen one, but they chose poorly, and uh, he turned out not to be the the kind of person that should have the, these kind of powers. Um, it's really complicated though, because then it there's a lot going on there and a lot of exposition. And then they're trying to tie it into the future as well. When he kind of comes back after 3000, 5,000 years. Yeah. I was curious to see how many people pick up on the Shazam connection. Um, because like, I feel like that's going to confuse people. I think it's going to confuse people. Yeah. Because in, in, in standing on its own, it didn't want to lean on Shazam. So it doesn't like show any flashbacks from Shazam. Um, but you definitely get, 
a couple characters from Shazam and the word the black <laughs> uses to go up and down is Shazam and his logo is the same as Shazam. So it's like, I think people are going to be like, what's the connection um, for those that don't know? I, Andy and I get it right. Nerds who listen to this podcast, y'all get it probably, but uh, the rest they of get, us. Yeah. They both yeah. got the lightning bolt on the, on the front that helps. Right. And that, that might be a lot. Additionally, like it, it's larger tyings to the DC cinematic universe as it currently exists. There are some other characters who appear. I think that stuff is good. Like, I think that helps kind of grow the universe as it is, but it also like has to walk this fine line that a lot of these movies end up in where <laughs> you don't want to be too, too core to the property. Cause people will feel like they have to watch black Adam and know what's going to happen next, but you don't want to be too loose where it's too disassociated. Ultimately it lands in there kind of fine. But it's also just kind of like, you know, passable. You're not missing any like vital DC yeah, film it's, it's information here. Like Black Adam exists. will just show up in another uh, DC movie at some point, most likely. And then he'll be doing something, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't make an effort to tie into the rest of the DC universe. We don't even know what the DC universe is. Now especially, <laughs> especially with some uh, some big changes today uh, that we'll talk about in a, in, in a second. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I do feel like if you are not super familiar with the comics, at the same time, you don't have to have seen any of the, of the DC movies to enjoy this, you know, to, mm. uh, to appreciate. It, it does kind of stand on its own, right. uh, which is nice. There, there was something... It's getting to the point with Marvel where it's like, if you haven't seen a lot of it, like, you're, lo- you're hopelessly lost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so it's nice to be able to just kind of walk into this. Credit where it's due. Yes, that is a feature. Uh, as far as our other characters go, I, I want to take a mention for some of our human characters. Uh, Andy mentioned in, when his plot opening at the start that uh, a couple of characters, a mother and son, uh, kind of use this artifact to to bring Black Adam to to the present time, and and they're kind of throughout the rest of the film as well. There's a bit of a, a social commentary around like the liberation of Kondok. 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 Uh, I keep wanting to say Kondar because uh, that's the name of one of the words of the thing in Evil Dead. Anyway, uh, yeah, the people of Kondok are, are, are to be socially liberated uh, from this gang, the, the, these mercenaries for hire, intergang, as they're called, which I hope is a comic reference because it's terrible. Probably, Whatever writer probably. came up with that. Like, it's got to be. Yeah, like that's it's a terrible name for like a mercenary group, intergang, but whatever. Um like there's this element of like social liberation and people hoping the black Adam will be this like hero for them. And so that sets up a, a kind of a unique spot for black Adam to be that some people praise him as a God and others see him as a villain. I think that's clever. Um, but man, the humans in this movie are just like paint on the wall. You don't care. About oh, okay. Like there's, there's so one note the the mom is, is this kind of revolutionary character who's incredibly thin and like many people in this position, like really puts the entire plot at risk because of her own selfish means. And the son is like, <laughs> he's, he, like at first I thought he was like Marty McFly because he skateboards a lot, but that's really his only thing. He skateboards a lot <laughs> and he likes yeah. other DC heroes, which is, you know, great for him. His room is just wall to wall, Batman, Flash, Wonder Woman, uh, uh, Superman. And there's like four scenes in that room, by the way. And every time Dwayne Johnson is in a room surrounded by DC stuff in a DC movie, I kept thinking of like Space Jam 2 when like LeBron <laughs> is like talking to all the Warner Brothers properties. And he's like, wow, look at the, the people from, you know, the monsters from Clockwork Orange next to Danny DeVito's Penguin. Like just too much, too much licensing, like too, 
too on the nose. But yeah, I'm it was like, really did you adult. know you were sure, in a DC I'm sure mo- kids movie? Liked yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's, did, it's very. Did you know? Do you know Superman is in this universe, but he's he's not going to show. He's not here, and Wonder Woman's here, but not really. Like just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very meta in that way. And it's like, yeah, his room is littered with Batman, <laughs> Superman, Wonder Man, Wonder Woman. Uh, like, what am I? But I mean, to the point of com- there are literal comic books that it's like, you know, Rebirth, New 52. These are like runs that they, in of the last yes. 10, 10 years or so. Which, you know, is, is good fan service to comic fans. And I think that's somewhere where DC leans heavy. Like, Marvel does not go out of their way to like, Get, you know, offer fan service to comic fans. DC does. And I think that's smart. But like the first time it happens in the movie, a big laugh out of me, the kid's like skateboarding. Of course he's skateboarding. And he like trips and he like his backpack falls off and it slides open and like three comics slide out perfectly into frame. It's so funny. Just like shoom and they go right in the middle of the frame. And it's like, what? I, what? Flash? Superman, yeah, like New Fifty Two, or it's just so so obvious. Like we're a comic book company. We're a comic book movie. Did you we know make that comic book stuff? Yeah. Did you know? Like, just have you really... heard of Batman? Yeah, like... I, I know that stuff's got to be in there. But like, boy, uh, they, yeah, they yeah, really it's go like for it. it's like a bunch of uh, you know middle aged execs were like, what what do kids do? They skateboard. Yeah, let's have a yeah. lot of skateboarding in the film. They like yeah. comic books. They skateboard and read comic books, yeah. Yeah, and and they're kind of the people that move the plot along. There's a weird, again, a weird thing about the liberation of the city, um, which is, again, out of nowhere. There's way too much in this movie. There's, like, several movies going on, and and it needed to get whittled down to a more simple script. Right. And, and like, not all of it's wasted. Like I said, the Justice Society, I think, is good. At least Dr. Fate uh, is, is, is a really cool character. Hawkman, I'd say secondary. And then your other two were like, fine. You know, you don't think much of them, but they're the young up and comers. Like, they're at least pretty interesting. But like Black Adam's story is kind of like there's not a 90 minute movie around Black Adam here. Like there isn't. And and it's stretched out by like the introduction of other elements that like help kind of pad it out and fill it out. And that's not necessarily strong for like a character who's supposed to be a real big deal. Like he ends up feeling like a small part of a larger something. And maybe that's where you want Black Adam to be. Maybe you want him to be kind of positioned as, you know, a, 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 a piece in the universe. But like I think they had hoped... At least presentation-wise, that he was going to be like the biggest piece in the universe. Yeah, it, it's um, yeah, it's just really <laughs> not super interesting. I was thinking there's, like, most villains don't really have a lot of backstory. They're just the bad guy. It's like most action movies are like that. The bad guy is just a bad guy because we need someone to be the bad guy. We don't need a whole long story. And most of them don't have interesting backstories. And that's kind of how this is. And in in the comics, Black Adam is just he's the antihero and he's got this small backstory, but you know, he doesn't have comics worth a legion of comics worth worth of of stories. That's part of the reason his character is so flat is like he's flat in the comics as well. Yeah. Um this movie's got and we should wrap it up because I, I realize I'm running out of things to things to complain about. But there, there's one <laughs> other thing. This movie does suffer from some like problems in pacing. The first two acts are pretty good. Like they, they get going. I mean, you get the introduction of Black Adam, then you get the Justice Society swooping in and you get to deal with them a little bit. But like <laughs> I thought I genuinely thought this movie might roll on credits at the at the at the end <laughs> of too. It kind of reached a point where I was like, Okay, I think I think we're done here. Like I, I think we've kind of reached our consensus and all of our characters seem to have 
decided what's what. And then it like has to whip out this like surprise act three uh, with the villain that kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, I know they're in there, but like you don't really think too much about them. Uh, and that's, that's a bummer. That does not, that does not help the end of this movie. The last, the last 45 minutes are like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't think this was going this direction. Right. See, I, I, I actually enjoyed the kind of like the last half of act three, like the cli- I feel like the climax of the movie is, is pretty strong. There's a lot of cool sequences and things that we get to see our characters work, our heroes working together, using all kind of combining all their powers. That's the cool stuff. That's what people are coming yes. for. It just takes so long to get there. Yeah. So long. And you just don't you don't really care about most of the again, you you're not really super interested in Black Adam or the the kind of secret villain that that comes out at in act 3. Um again, the Justice Society most like I wish they had their own movie. Like they're super interesting. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, me too. Like you could you could stand to give them 2 hours and they could probably make it work. I'm sure it'd be that globe trotting problem I talked about, but like, you know, I think there's a way to limit that. They they clearly did it here. Um ultimately like I think Black Adam was supposed to present as kind of bigger and bolder and stronger than he actually does in the movie. And like, that's a problem, uh, you know, against, against humans, Black Adam will crush you. Right. But like, as soon as there's a couple soups on screen, he's in trouble. Like he, he's, my man is on the ropes and I know in the beginning <laughs> they got to make him look like, Oh, he's got to overcome, you know, he's got to get stronger and, and become bigger and bolder than he's ever been before, right? That's what you do. That's the hero's turn, the hero's journey. They they take a dive in Act 2, they come back stronger in Act 3. But, like, man, Dwayne Johnson sold this in, in pressers like he is as big as Superman. And it's like, I don't think so, dude. Like, I, I don't know. I, I did not walk away from this movie thinking he was, like, the new Dr. Manhattan or anything. Uh, I'm not even sure he's as tough as Dr. Fate. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on this one before recommendations, Andy? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Black Adam? I would recommend it to hardcore comic book fans. Super, if you're into superhero movies, got you see them all. You'll enjoy it. It's not a great movie. Again, it's like the Fast and the Furious. Like that's if you enjoy those movies, you can enjoy them for the spectacle and the action that they are. They're not big on plot or or characters, but they're a lot of fun. And that's kind of how this is. It's a, it's a fun time. It's actually pretty funny. There's a lot of good jokes in there. They don't all land. Most of them do, do though. Uh, but it's definitely for kind of the hardcore comic book superhero person. If that is not you, probably skip it or or save it for streaming. Yeah, same. Like if you're if you're a comic book fan, you want to keep up with what DC's doing. Of course, you should go see Black Adam. You'll probably have a fine time. Uh, if you're like average consumer and you're starting to get tired of superhero movies, like save it. You're you're not missing anything huge here. Um, you know, any 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 relevant news about the larger universe will hit the internet if it hasn't already. So there aren't any, aren't too many giant changes or anything. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine i man uh dwayne johnson really wanted this to be like the biggest deal ever and i think the issue is in its writing it just doesn't quite get over the mark it tries to just spin too many plates and ultimately that hurts the larger feature and that's black adam oh and one more thing while i'm thinking about it i was talking with andy about this for the movie don't go see this movie in imax it wasn't shot in imax <laughs> uh, i went and saw it in imax because it was the next convenient show and that was just what happened and i ended up at an imax theater and it's like cropped it's not it's not not any not any kind of big fancy imax show uh maybe d box would be a good time like your seat moves and stuff but don't don't waste the money I, on imax i sat behind the d box seat so i got that d box light that's right. A little bit of shake, a little bit Poor of rumble. Man's D-box. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. 
Well, uh, regarding DC, we should talk about our last last segment, which is also abbreviated DC. Haha. How how appropriate. Andy, you want to introduce this for us? It's time for the death of cinema. So some big news from DC uh, just today. So after Black Adam marked the end of Walter Hamada's uh, time with DC Films, he was ahead of DC Films uh, from 2018 to present. And they've, there's been a long search for who would fill that seat. And just today, not a few hours ago, um, it was announced that James Gunn would take over along with uh, producer Peter Safran as the head of DC Studios. Not not DC film that they're going to be combining the film, animation, TV under one umbrella called DC Studios, and it's going to be a co. They're going to be co CEOs, uh, co kind of creatives of of DC films moving forward, and this is huge. James Gunn, of course, worked with Marvel on Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, one one two and three. Has worked on uh, you know the Suicide Squad, the Peacemaker TV show. He's done a lot with both comic book properties. Done been really successful and uh this is huge news zach what are you what are you what are your thoughts on this uh i'm i'm genuinely like startled when this came up i couldn't i couldn't believe it looking at it uh james gunn is a infamously creative director uh who has produced stuff that is exciting and different uh for disney this has been guardians of the galaxy one and two um, you may remember James Gunn was actually uh, briefly in some hot water for some old tweets uh, that got led to him getting pulled from Guardians 3. Uh, he signed a deal with DC to make the Suicide Squad. That spun off into Peacemaker because that was successful enough for it to become its own thing where he jumped into HBO television uh, with 12 episodes. And uh, following that deal, uh, Disney decided, you know what? Actually, we do want you back. We want you to come make Guardians 3. He signed a deal with that. Now he will be heading the creative arm, at least, of this co-CEO position over dc studios it's bananas like this is film tv and animation this is combining everything and as far as it goes james gunn will be the creative director of all of it uh, peter safran will be uh kind of the money arm kind of the management arm uh there's some work in business and production side and there's some mention here of his past work i don't think he's done anything particularly exciting uh, so, so a couple of the things that he's worked on, uh, he was producer of the $1 billion grossing Aquaman, uh, as, as well as its upcoming sequel, Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, Shazam, and also the uh, Conjuring franchise, which is a $2 billion $2 billion franchise. franchise. Good God. Uh, all right. So, so he's, made, he's made some money for, for DC. And that's the other thing is like we, we are getting creatives, but we are also – Warner Brothers is looking to make money. They're not – doing passion projects right now. Um, and so they've kind of struck a balance there. I tell you, it's a smart thing to split this job. Cause I don't know who in Hollywood might want it. <laughs> I think being yeah. the new, being the new head of DC films is like gotta be one of the most challenging jobs to jump into because new D Warner discovery CEO, David Zaslav has made it very clear. He wants Kevin Feige. He wants exactly what Marvel's doing. He's like, I just want to chase that. Kevin Feige's doing great over for Marvel. I wish I could clone him and have a second one, and that's who I'd have running things. Uh, Walter Hamada, previous DC president, a film president, is out. I do want to talk about him briefly, uh, but we'll get to that. Um, 
And so having like two people step into this role feels smart because then you're not just going to hang everything on one person. You've got two different minds approaching it. One that's money and one that's more creatively oriented. Uh, I can't tell you how James Gunn is going to run this studio though. I, I really could not say where they're headed because James Gunn does things differently, right? Like <laughs> he approaches things from a new voice, new space. That's what I want for star Wars. That's why I like that Damon Lindelof announcement. But this is also the guy who seemed to be cool with like naming his suicide squad feature, the suicide squad, which like greatly hurt it. Um, this is the guy who ran with peacemaker, which was, which is successful, but a really odd property to run in a direction with on HBO. Um, he's got some weird takes, I guess what I'm saying. And often they're hot, but they're weird. And like, I don't, I don't know what that means for DC. I mean, I, I know Peter Safran's got the money side covered. I appreciate that. But like, he also has some unique outlooks. Like he's attached to Aquaman one and two, right? Shazam, the flash. Like these are new properties for DC. These, these are different properties for DC. And I think that's good. But at the same time, like, I don't, I, I don't know if this satisfies that Kevin Feige requirement, right? Like, this is not exactly a return to the Justice League. Or maybe it is. I, I, I don't know yet, but... Yeah, I, and I, th I know that they've talked a lot about Kevin Feige and the MCU, but I, I think they're really looking to go in a slightly different direction. They have multiple universes going on. There's, like, kind of the main DC film universe. Then there's the, the Matt Reeves Batman, which is separate, which is separate from the Joker, Todd Phillips Joker film. So they, they, they are split in ways that, which I think is actually good. Cause Marvel's kind of getting to where, I mean, it's just one giant timeline. And Every, everything's watered down. Right. It's going to kind of collapse at some point and you're going to have to kind of start over. So it's, it's almost smarter that to have different, um, universes going on. Um, what I'm interested in, is to see where where do we go from here? What projects are going to get announced? What's going to get greenlit? What's going to get get the axe? Because there are some you know there are some more DC projects still in the works. There's supposed to be a Green Lantern show on HBO Max. Uh, there are sequels to you know the the Joker film to the Batman things like that. So it'll be interesting to see w where we go from here. For sure, uh, one thing I've got confidence in for Gunn is his ability to. Um, get behind smaller characters. And I think that's huge, right? Like they specifically mentioned Harley Quinn in this announcement, specifically Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Harley Quinn, and the rest of the DC stable of characters. Um, but I think that's good. There's been some question about where her character's headed now that Lady Gaga is picking up the role in Joker 2, but that is its own thing. Like Andy said, that's its own kind of universe and its own kind of angle. Matt Reeves is doing stuff and they're greenlighting shows for HBO that they're going to be creating that are also in the universe of Robert Pattinson's The Batman. Meanwhile, James Gunn has Peacemaker, which was its own thing. Like, I think the guy is not afraid to elevate smaller properties. And I think that is a genuinely great asset. That's something Marvel is only really trying to get into in the last few years. And they're not doing that good of a job. Yeah. On paper, it looks good, but like there's gotta be diminishing returns on some of these characters they've been leading, you know, uh, meanwhile, James Gunn is leaning into it and James Gunn is running forward with it. And I think that's a good thing. I hope Peter Safran feels the same way. Like I, I hope they're going to want to continue to, elevate some of these like lesser known characters and mm -hmm. reinvent the characters who have been worked. I mean, there's been some recent news uh, regarding other characters in the DC universe, specifically around black Adam that we won't talk about, but uh, you know, there, there, there's, there seems to be a direction coming forward and what that might be like weird and zigzaggy, but <laughs> ultimately I think it's positive. Yeah. I, it, 
I mean, he he's an incredible creative person. If you haven't seen the Suicide Squad or the Peacemaker show, it's just he's out there, and that that's good. I mean, that's what we want. We want creative films, even in in this this space. That's part of the reason uh, that Black Adam is so. I was calling it Bland Adam over the weekend. Uh, Dwayne Johnson is a producer on the film, so I think he was calling some of the shots, and I think he was trying to mold it like a Fast and Furious film. So that's why it feels so much like that and that's not what you're going to get with someone like James Gunn and it'll be but he he's got a he's the one making the the decision so it'll be interesting like i said to see what projects they take on what who what actors and directors they they get they bring into the fold to make more films and yeah ultimately how they they move forward with the universe yeah you're absolutely right um this is unique coming from the studio that canned batgirl right like a film that was basically done <laughs> But also, like, not that weird come from the studio that greenlit Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from DC. But, like, considering where their competition is, where Marvel's at now, um, I'm a bit more interested in what DC is doing just because it's different, right? It's punk. It's weird. And, like, that's good in, in its own way. It's punk. It's not really punk. But um, ultimately, I think this is a good thing for DC. I'm very surprised. I, I, I can't really speak towards their TV and animation division. Like I said, I know they're doing some things on HBO, which are good stuff because HBO is Warner Brothers. Um, animation. I don't really know what to tell you. I don't watch a lot of DC animated. Um, it's but fine. Yeah, like ultimately, like I think this is a good thing. I, I hope this leads to better, better days for DC because uh, they've been struggling. Uh, regarding Walter Hamada, any thoughts, Andy? Because I got some hot takes. Um, I mean, he did better than whoever they they. I don't know if it was Zack. Snyder. I don't know who was in charge when they started with Zack Snyder, but um, he definitely push things in a better direction uh we got uh, again Zack snyder justice league we got the joker film we got uh shazam wonder woman 2 uh so he made he made some good decisions uh some things didn't hit quite as well like birds of prey or even black black adam like there i mean warner brothers is looking to make a billion dollars off every property dc that they make there you know they don't want to make small so he did okay he did better than what had come before. Yeah. Yeah. I think Hamada was able to like kind of pivot in the wake of like popular properties, not doing well, right. Justice league, not doing outstanding. Uh, I, I think he was able to like elevate projects that were smaller and bring people like James Gunn into the fold, which like clearly has begun to exhibit like a direction for the rest of the franchise, at least for the next four years. So um, I, I think that's a good thing. Like I, I think Hamada, produce stuff like shazam yeah like stuff like black adam in that case but also you know the suicide squad and and elevated margot robbie as harley quinn and gave her multiple swings at that which were all good i think making something like peacemaker was exciting and green lighting like a new batman reboot with robert pattinson was good stuff like i ultimately like i think in four years this guy made some pretty good moves and it's a bummer that uh, the new Discovery Warner CEO didn't feel that way. But clearly, like, the spirit of what he was doing, the spirit of, like, taking the road less traveled and, like, producing things that were maybe a little bit odd, um, clearly that's still aligned well. And I think it's a good thing. So, yeah, that's that's DC. That's Walter Hermada. Any other thoughts on this, Andy? Uh, that's it for me. Well, and that's about it for our show. Like I said, only one one movie this week we want to take some time to talk about black adam make sure we really dug in deep and maybe dug a little too deep but if you stuck <laughs> around with us Andy, what can people expect to watch next week or hear about next week on the show 
So we're going to be watching All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, this is going to be out on Netflix starting this Friday. This is a, a not a remake. There was a movie by the same name made in the 30s, almost 100 years ago, um, that's based on a book about the First World War. It's supposed to be very gritty and brutal depiction of trench warfare and all that. Um, that comes out this Friday. That is a film from Germany. It's in German, uh, and it's their entry in for a best international uh, picture. We're also going to be watching Decision to Leave, which is Park Chan Wook's latest uh, mystery drama romance thing, and that's going to be in theaters. Park Chan Wook, of course, is known best for Old Boy and more recently things like The Handmaiden and Stoker. And I'm super excited to, uh, to see that. That's a, a Korean film. And uh, that's what we're going to be doing this weekend. Also, uh, Tar is out this week. If you want to catch that, that's the uh, bio, kind of biopic of uh, conductor Lydia Tar starring Kate Blanchett, which is apparently an incredible piece of acting. Yes. Uh, I, <laughs> need, I, I need to see Tar. I, I'm not quite as excited about it as I should be. Um, it's three hours long. Yeah, like I said, it, it, the the trailers remind me of like the trailers from for for from Moria, which Andy and I saw with Tilda Swinton and Kate Blanchett and Tilda Swinton are not the same. Those are two different people, but like uniquely similar vibes of like really moody, really tonal, but like don't really give you an idea of what the plot is. And I'm like, dude, three three hours of watching like a lanky, very thin white woman like struggle with like high high society snobbery problems is like just. <laughs> <laughs> I can only do it so much and, and like a little bit that's out. like let, yeah let me go watch a movie about a woman who has absolutely no want for money <laughs> has no no real problems struggle with like intellectual creative spaces like I, I don't know I, I I need to go see it I shouldn't be so jaded it might be totally different than what I'm thinking I just I have not been totally drawn in by the marketing but I am excited to watch All Quiet on the Western Front that movie looks surprisingly brutal there's a couple trailers out. It looks like something else. And and decision to leave. How long is decision to leave, Andy? It's over two hours, like isn't it? Two two hours twenty minutes, I think. It's That's a long okay. one. That's not bad. Well, you know, one. hey, you know what? For 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 foreign cinema, I, I'll, I'll go for it. Um, I was I was laughing at a tweet earlier from a YouTuber I like, film essayist Patrick H. Willems, who said uh, he's been working on a, on a, on film essay for films from the eighties. He's like, best thing about films from the eighties, like, God, all of them are ninety minutes, like. <laughs> 90 95 89 minutes like it feels like lately everything we watch is like two plus easy like man if they can get you to the theater that you're gonna stick around so it's fine i'm excited to watch both uh but that's our show for the week and if you enjoyed our show for the week uh you should follow us at off script film review on twitter and instagram and facebook and youtube on itunes where you get all your usual podcasts or the audio version we want spotify google play iHeartMedia. uh you can follow us in all those places you can follow us on facebook where we do our live stream every tuesday afternoon uh you can follow us on youtube where we post the live stream after i guess you'd subscribe on youtube wouldn't you and you'd subscribe on all those podcast platforms as well or as many as you like to support the show you actually have no idea how much subscribing actually helps podcasts like us. It's kind of kind of a huge deal on the back end. It makes a really big difference. So if you have the means, hit that subscribe button to get new episodes of Offscript delivered straight to your phone every single week. You can also write us correspondence in any of the comment sections on any of those sites you like or email us and mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Let us know what you thought of Black Adam. Let us know what you think of Tar coming up, right, or any movie we're about to watch. And uh, also let me know if I should watch Smile. 
Like really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I God, I write that one off, and I, I don't know. I keep thinking maybe it's maybe it's worth something. But uh, you can follow us. You can subscribe. I don't know. Is there anything else? Am I missing something, Andy? Like I, I think said, we're good. I think we're good. Uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of bold cinema. I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.